This is one of those mornings when the preacher doesn't have a lot of options about which reading to address. I probably don't have to tell you that marriage and divorce is a loaded subject in our society. Marriage is hard. All of us have been touched by divorce in some way. I think of family members of mine who have gone through divorce or friends who I've watched struggle with anger and hurt and confusion as their parents break up. Some of you all have seen your own marriages struggle or you've been a participant in a wedding and a few years later you got a call saying, I don't think we're going to make it. And so when Jesus begins to speak so uncompromisingly about marriage and divorce, many of us become uncomfortable. But I don't think we can just ignore what Jesus says and hope it'll go away. For one thing, he actually does say these words. And if you believe, as I do, that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't get to pick and choose which of his words have authority for us. But also, and this is important, as people from families and in a society profoundly affected by divorce, I think all of us need to hear what Jesus has to say. Because there's more happening in this moment and in this interaction than we often realize. And it's only when we open ourselves to accept Jesus' word of judgment that we can begin to discover within it a word of salvation. And that's where I think the Holy Spirit wants to take us this morning. If you want to follow along, we're at the beginning of Mark chapter 10. As the story begins, you heard it, Jesus is teaching. And some Pharisees approach, the law keepers. And they say, Jesus, we have a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, based on some later rabbinic writings, most scholars think there was a debate going on at this time about when a man was allowed to divorce his wife in Jewish thought, according to the law of Moses. Rabbi Hillel says, for any reason, Rabbi Shemai says, only in the case of sexual unfaithfulness. Jesus is being invited to weigh in on an ongoing discussion. But this is not just an intellectual question. Mark makes this very clear. He tells us the Pharisees asked because they were seeking to test Jesus. In other words, it's a trap. If you recall, not so long ago, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, condemned Herod Antipas for marrying his brother's ex-wife. He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And John ended up in prison, and then he ended up dead. And if Jesus isn't careful, the same thing could happen to him. Maybe that's what the Pharisees are hoping. But if you've read the Gospels for very long, you've probably noticed that whenever someone asks Jesus a question, especially if they're trying to catch him in his answer, Jesus doesn't play by their rules. In this case, he turns the question back on them. Hey, you're scholars of the law. What did Moses command? And they answer, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and put her away. Referencing the opening verses of Deuteronomy 24, which offers certain restrictions about divorce and remarriage. Of course, taking a restriction and interpreting that as granting permission is understandable. It also raises certain questions. But isn't it interesting that Jesus asks what the law of Moses commanded, and they say, here's what Moses allowed. 
Well, that, that wasn't the question. And Jesus is going to press into that difference, that dissonance. Because as usual, Jesus is not interested in just answering the question. He wants to challenge and change the question. In his answer, he wants to reveal something about marriage and also something about his questioners and also ultimately something about himself. And so he seems to ask, what is marriage? What's marriage for? You reference Deuteronomy. Let's go deeper than that. Let's go back to creation. And he starts quoting from Genesis chapter 2 that we heard read just a few minutes ago. The story of how God shapes Adam from the clay and breathes life into his body. And then the Lord says, it is not good for the man to be alone. In the first chapter of Genesis, we have a recurring refrain. God saw that it was good. And when he completes his beginning work of creation, it says, God looked at all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is the first time in the biblical story that God has said anything is not good. Because Adam is made to share in God's loving dominion over the world as a steward, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And he can't do that alone. But more than that, Humanity is created to bear the image of God with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in an absolute perfect union of love. Adam is made above all for relationship with God, but he's also meant to reflect that divine relationship in his human relationships, and he can't do that by himself. And so God says, I will make a helper fit for him. And you need to know that that word helper does not indicate some kind of second-class status. Okay, this is a word of strength and honor in the Hebrew. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it's used to refer to God himself. The Lord is my helper. What God's talking about here in Genesis 2 is someone who fits Adam. Someone who can help Adam show forth who God is and enter more fully into relationship with God and who can share in the work and the love and the promise and the future that Adam has been given and help bring it to fulfillment, help bring God's purposes to fulfillment. And so the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he takes a rib and he fashions it into a woman and he brings her to the man. And now for the first time in the Genesis narrative, Now that there's another human being standing there, we actually hear Adam's words when he speaks. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. One who is my kind, someone who's like me, but also profoundly different from me in ways that I need. Adam sees the woman and knows this is the sort of being with whom I can share in the work of God and fulfill his commands and show forth his love. And he gives her a name. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Because Eve is separated from Adam in creation so that she can be united to Adam by marriage. And this is why it says, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. Marriage takes two people alike in their humanity 
and also profoundly different as male and female, and it unites them as one, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. A physical and spiritual union that can give life and bear fruit both physically and spiritually. It's not an accident that immediately after talking about marriage and divorce, Jesus is going to be welcoming children in Mark's gospel. That's not a coincidence. Marriage, as Jesus sees it, is literally procreative. It's ordered toward a participation in the ongoing creative work of God bringing new life into being. And even for older couples and those who face infertility, the one flesh union of a man and woman is always meant to be a union of love that overflows. This is what it's for in the biblical understanding. The nature of their physical union reveals a spiritual reality and a purpose. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees they are no longer two but one flesh. Which is to say that marriage is not a merely human arrangement. We don't just make vows to one another. We make those vows before the Lord. And he takes them seriously even when we don't. What therefore God has joined together, Jesus says, let not man put asunder. Now this was really just as radical in first century Jewish thought as it is today. No rabbi spoke outright against divorce, or if they did, we have no record of it. But Jesus doesn't speak like a rabbi. Jesus speaks as one with authority directly from the scriptures. He says, this is what God meant. God made marriage to forge two people into one flesh. And we know that Jesus' teaching sounded extreme because as soon as they get inside, the disciples ask him if he could clarify a bit. Just make sure we heard you correctly, Jesus. And if anything, he's more blunt with the disciples. He doubles down, right? He, he makes it worse. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That's what the Son of God says. This is the standard. Till death do us part. Now, I want to be clear here that some people are abandoned. They don't want to be divorced. They don't choose that. Some people are married to someone who rejects every effort at healing the marriage. And if you're experiencing abuse or your life or the lives of your children are in danger, the church teaches you may have to take legal steps to seek protection and resist that evil. Not everyone who ends up with divorce papers has necessarily sinned any more than those first century Jewish women who were sent away by their husbands for no reason. Jesus rebukes that. But biblically, it's also unavoidably clear, and we have to say if we want to be faithful to what Jesus says, divorce always involves sin on the part of at least one of the two people involved. And there are probably fewer innocent parties than we think. This is what Jesus says when they paraphrase Deuteronomy. He tells them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. Because God saw that men were sending their wives away and all the social and relational havoc that could cause. So Moses set some kind of parameters and made some rules about it as a kind of tourniquet to slow the bleeding. 
Okay, but do you hear Jesus' words because of your hardness of heart? Not those other people whose marriages have broken down, but you. The fact that the Pharisees are asking this question and the way they're asking it reveals something about them, and it's not a pretty picture. There's a spiritual sickness here that goes deeper than just some broken marriages. This breakdown of human relationships, and if we can be real for a moment, whether you're married or not, all our human relationships are skewed and screwed up to some extent. Right? We know this. We feel the brokenness. But that brokenness of our human relationships that all of us experience, Jesus says, is a symptom of a spiritual disease. We're all suffering from what he calls sclerocardia, hard-heartedness. And it's fatal. It'll destroy everything. And this is why, as hard as it is for some of us to hear what Jesus says in this passage, we need to hear what Jesus says in this passage. Because Jesus gets it. He sees the pain and the hurt and the fear, the confusion and the selfishness, the anger, the abuse, the manipulation, the willingness to use other people to try to reduce the the ache or satisfy this longing inside of me. And he knows that it doesn't work and he speaks a word of judgment. It's because of your hard-heartedness that Moses ever had to write this. This is not what God wanted for you. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But in this word of judgment, if we're willing to receive it, is hidden also a word of salvation. Because Jesus is not just showing them what marriage is or is meant to be. He's not just showing them their own hearts our own hearts. Most of all, what Jesus is revealing in these words is something about himself. Because it doesn't help us to say you have a spiritually fatal disease. Okay? It doesn't do us any good for Jesus to replace the Deuteronomic code, which we failed to keep, with a moral law drawn from Genesis that's even harder and less attainable. It doesn't help Unless, somehow, restoration is possible. I really like the way N.T. Wright puts this in talking about this passage. He says, for Jesus' comment to make sense, he must be offering a cure for hard-heartedness. Jesus knows that our relationships are broken. Because the world is broken, and so are we. Not only are we separated from one another, we're separated from God. Marriage was always meant to be a small reflection of that union of divine love that the triune God made us to share. But what God joined together, we human beings have torn asunder. We've gone off after other gods. We've pursued every other possible source of fulfillment. We've tried to make human relationships satisfy a supernatural longing. Does it surprise us that they break down? Scripture says over and over again, this is the problem. We've divorced ourselves from the one who made us. We've rejected the God who covenanted himself in love with us. 
We've tried to send him away. That's why all the rest has gone to rack and ruin. But Jesus, but Jesus has come after us to draw us back. Because God saw and knew that it was not good for man, for humanity, to be alone. Because, friends, we need a helper. And so that story from Genesis 2 is about to happen again, but this time on a cross outside Jerusalem, where the perfect sinless man will surrender himself to the Father and fall into a deeper sleep than the sleep of Adam, the sleep of death itself. And his side will be opened with a spear. And blood and water will flow out. And through the water and the blood, the washing of regeneration, this blood of the new covenant, God is going to fashion him a bride, a church, purified in splendor, holy and blameless in his sight, a spiritual union that can bear fruit. What does Hebrews say? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Do you understand what that means? Jesus became flesh of our flesh to make us bone of his bone. That's what that means. To tear up our spiritual divorce papers and say, you are my beloved and I'm not letting you go that easy. Take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Hearts set free to fulfill the commandments we could never fulfill on our own. Hearts set free to respond to his love. We need to hear Jesus' words today because in this word of judgment is a word of salvation. Because Jesus isn't just here to do damage control. All right? He's not interested in doling out painkillers that let the underlying sickness rage on. He's not here to put us on a new hard-heartedness management routine. Jesus is here to give us a new heart. Can I hear an amen? amen? Jesus is here to win our hearts. We've all seen struggling in broken marriages, right? We've all experienced the wounds of other people failing to love us well. And if we're honest, we've all inflicted those wounds. But many of you can bear witness that we've also seen miraculous transformation. We've seen lives transfigured. We've seen deeply fractured marriages restored in ways that seem, seemed impossible. We've seen this here. We've seen repentance and reconciliation and freedom. But that only happens when we allow our own unfaithfulness to be healed by the faithfulness of the Lord. When we turn to him and say, you're right, what you said is true, I have a hard heart, and I need a new one. I need you to win me back and wash me clean and make me new and love me into holiness and wholeness. If you're here this morning and you've been broken by the people who are supposed to love you, 
Maybe you've forgiven them. Maybe you're struggling with forgiveness. Today, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you and his love is faithful. And he wants to accomplish a work of healing and forgiveness and draw you back into union with himself. If you'll let him. And if you're here this morning and there's something in your past, a broken relationship, a fracture in your marriage, a failure to be the husband or wife you know God wants you to be, failure to be the son or the daughter or the parent or the friend that you know God wants you to be. Maybe you've never really accepted Jesus' words of judgment. Do that this morning. Make this the day. Take it to Jesus and lay it before him. If something's really weighing on your heart, any of your priests would be glad to hear your confession and offer absolution. But say the words. Say, I sinned. I did that. It was wrong. Accept his judgment so that you can hear his words of forgiveness as he draws you to himself. His words that... Jesus speaks to all us hard-hearted people when we truly turn to him. You are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And I have bought you at the cost of my own blood. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Receive his forgiveness this morning. Receive his healing power. Receive a new heart. And let him begin to make you a new creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.